Amber, what are you drinking today? Well, Amanda, it's the middle of February currently. No, everyone's not gonna hear this for a little while, but I'm still drinking water. Yay. I don't even know what, I don't have my calendar, so I don't know what day I'm on. You're probably close water. to 40 days, I think. Close to 40 days. Close to 40 yeah. days. And it's Kroger water this evening. Yeah. Today. Not yeah. Ozarka. Not Ozarka. Cool. <laughs> All right. It's because I'm not at home. Yeah. Well, you got to do what you got to do in that Texas weather right now. I know, right? What are you drinking, Amanda? Well, Amber, today I am drinking water. What? What? I know. Look at the sweet water bottle I got for my birthday. Oh, that is a cool water bottle. I, I'm so proud you're drinking water right now. I know. You know, I just... I've been working all day and just wasn't feeling the vodka tonight. So I said, I'm just going to support Amber and go with some water today. Yay. Well, I'll take it. I will take it. Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell them. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Leanne Wade. She served in the United States Navy from 2004 to 2012 as a personnel specialist. How are you doing today, Leanne, and what are you drinking? I'm doing well, and I I guess three is company because I'm drinking water as well. It's just the fancy kind. I've got the fancy water. water. Fancy water. (laughs) Amanda likes fancy water. I do like the fancy fancy water. I usually like it with vodka in them, but, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. I don't vodka either. That's why I was hey, like, did I do something in this episode? Because I don't drink that much. So I was like, how did everybody end up with water? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do. You never know what you're going to get with us. So okay. yeah. look at us being all healthy. What a nice I party. know, right? Sometimes we drink water. Let me go get a donut now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> something to make it worth it. Absolutely. I won't admit what I had for breakfast. <laughs> I'm not going to admit what I have for breakfast either. <laughs> Nor what I've been doing all day. But that's, but that's a point. Dinner and ended with bun. We would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD, their website, www.rafa180.com or email at rafacbd at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters. Leanne, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and how your story started? Um, I grew up in southeastern Ohio in a small town called Cumberland. It's a village. There's about 300 people there. <laughs> and uh, it was you know, just standard country creek growing up, a small high school, that kind of stuff. I had like not a big military family or anything like that. Um, but a friend of the family named Hirsch that I was close to as a kid served and a few of my uncles, but uh, college. I got out of high school to two years of college and I was at that weird age, you know, where you don't have money for school. You're an independent, you're not old enough to get independent status. You can't get student loans. And so I wanted to go to college. So to the Navy, I went. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost a similar story to me. I mean, small town, 
and then not military family and ended up going into the military. Yeah. That, that did pay for school though. Once I got out. So you told us why you joined the Navy. What made you become a personnel specialist? Well, the um, needs of the Navy is one way to put it. You know how you go to the maps and they give you the list. Well, the list they gave me was like aviation ordinance or being a personnel man. Oh. You know, and I actually fought for personnel men because I was like, I'm five foot three. I'm not going to carry around torpedoes and stuff. <laughs> I actually have a friend who's tiny that she was an AO. Yeah. And I mean, it's a great job, but also my grandfather actually was a contractor in World War II. And so he made me promise that I wouldn't, if I was going in the Navy, that I wouldn't take a job on the fly line because it's the most dangerous jobs in the world. So that was kind of the other so I was like, Lauren, I'll go work behind a desk. I'm really good at math and paperwork. <laughs> okay. See, I didn't have a list. Did you, Amanda? Nope. I like, I decided what I was going to do while I was in, before I ever went to MEPS. Yeah. I decided what I was going to do sitting with the career counselor at MEPS. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to do this. And he said, no. And I said, I want to do this. And he said, no. And I said, okay, I want to be an air traffic controller. And he said, let me see what I can do. Yeah. Oh, there's one spot left and you qualify. Click. Congratulations. You're an air traffic controller. Yeah, I didn't know any of that stuff. Like I literally said, I want to be an air traffic controller. And they said, okay. And yeah. then mm-hmm. when I went to MEPS, like I did my physical stuff and went to boot camp. Well, I went to the Air Force as well, as far as MEPS, right? Like who can get me a job first kind of thing. Because initially I was going to just join the reserves. And then um, I had a not so nice manager tell me that if I joined the reserves, they would fire me, which the recruiter didn't take so well and said, how would you like to go on active duty instead? But as an FTS, which is full-time support, it was known as the TAR program before. So you spend your whole career training the reserves. (laughs) So so that's, you know, so it's not ship bound. So I did eight years and no ships. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But when you guys went to MEPS, did you have fun with your personnel people? <laughs> um, I don't remember, actually. Oh, man. So mine was one that it's just like, I'll never forget him. It was Petty Officer Schmidt of all names. <laughs> and he was a personnel. He was a very arrogant man. And I just remember him saying to me, oh, so you want to join the Navy, but you don't want to get your hands dirty. I was like, no, I want your job, genius. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A little <laughs> bit of a smart ass. <laughs> Still am. Yeah. That's um a good quality for joining the Navy. Yes. It's necessary. It is absolutely necessary, especially when you figure out that you may be serving with a bunch of Marines. Yeah. Then you have to be even more of a smart ass. And that's kind of what happened to me because I ended up going joint task force. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh man. Well, it sounds like you had a good time. I describe my career as a Shakespearean tragic comedy. (laughs) I can see that for sure. For sure. So I know you said you didn't go to sea, but what were your duty stations and did you have a favorite one? Gosh, it sounds so short because I know other people, they have like this laundry list of places. Mm -hmm. And so my first duty station was the Naval Operations Support Center in Tacoma, which is a reserve center. And while I was there, I volunteered to be an individual augmentee and ended up in Djibouti. That's a story in itself. Um, and then my, I was stationed at uh, the personnel support detachment in Washington, DC, 
Ooh. Yeah, that was fun. <sighs> and my the last fun. place I was actually stationed was the Penn State ROTC. Mm-hmm. So you still had some interesting places yeah, that you had to experience. Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm like, did I have a favorite? I'm like, not really. <laughs> I mean, I loved being out in Washington State. It's beautiful out there. Yeah, I was stationed at Whidbey Island for five years. Wow, okay. So. Yeah, and then you know, coming to DC, I kind of feel like I got stuck because I'm still here. Yeah, I left and came back, but that's you know, finding a job after you get out. So yeah, let me right back here. That's a whole. Now I'm like, I want to leave. <laughs> so being stationed in Tacoma and then being stationed in DC, which coast do you prefer? West. Absolutely would prefer to serve on the West Coast or anywhere that's farther away from the Pentagon. <laughs> Cheers to the West Coast. The West Coast is the best coast. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the I think the, the count on that is undeniably. It is West Coast. significantly probably like 85, 15. I mean, everywhere has its problems. But when you, the closer you get to the district, the more bureaucracy and politics you have to deal with. And that can be really hard. Yeah, really difficult. And it can actually negatively impact you depending on what you run into. And that's kind of what happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get that. From your experiences, because you kind of got to do some cool things, even though you tried to tell us you didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, being a, you know, being a personnel specialist is supposed to be boring. So I like to come with a surprise. Hey, woo. <laughs> I don't know. I knew some personnel men on the ship that were super fun. Especially mm-hmm. when I lost my leaf chips. Oh, that's not mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> Schwartz Davidson Law is a Texas-based, veteran-friendly law firm. Credit and debt is a big game, and one rigged for you to lose. The system's designed to keep you in it, spending money and juggling different types of accounts so lenders feel more comfortable lending you money. Worse credit equals worse rates, and there's no shortage of companies trying to collect. Negative reporting is an attempt to collect a debt. So what happens when a debt collector or credit bureau makes a mistake? What happens when they refuse to fix it? That's when it's time to lawyer up with Schwartz-Davidson Law. Call the folks who started in credit restoration, got a law degree, and have been holding the credit bureau's feet to the fire to protect consumers and help you take hold of your financial future instead of letting the anxiety of it run you. How do you get a debt collector to stop calling? Let them know you've got an attorney. How do you get the best deal on a settlement? With an attorney, you don't have to break the bank to fix your credit or deal with debt collectors. Contact the attorneys at Schwartz-Davidson Law for a free consultation and let us go to battle for you. We're here when you need us. They they were good people. (laughs) But do you have a fun active duty story that you can tell us? Or she's Navy, so we can say. Technically, you know, that's to say when I was deployed, it's considered type 2 sea duty. Um, Even though I was hanging out at Camp Lemonade with the Army and... And that kind of stuff. The stories that come out of Djibouti. Oh, geez. Yeah. And colonels and all that kind of stuff in Djibouti. So Tom Shepard, he's a country music uh, songwriter. He was actually there. So if you guys want a good laugh, go look up the Djibouti song by Tom Shepard. That was actually, he was there and writing that with the Marines that I was deployed there with. So if you want a good laugh, go check that song out. <laughs> I was thinking about it. And I was, that's why I was like, I don't know, because funny is so, so subjective and like certain things are funny to some and not others. I just like, I like to play practical jokes on like the highest ranking people I could find. <laughs> That's greatness. Yeah. So in Djibouti, 
uh, I worked in the J1 and uh, Rear Admiral Hart was in charge of J1. And he would come in because I, I worked like redeployments and that kind of stuff and assisted with people going down range and all that kind of fun stuff. But he would always leave, you know, it's hot and we're in the old deserts because this is in 2006, 2007. And so we had the old deserts and the boonie caps. And he used to always leave his boonie cap on my desk and then like complain because he was losing his cover. Oh, wait, I have one right here. Hold on. Right. From Djibouti, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do you have one of the embroidered ones? <laughs> Hold on. I'll show you what I have. Nope, not that one. There it is. Boom. Exactly. Okay. So you you know on there where the rank is supposed to be? Yes. Okay. So I took a Sharpie and drew a star on it. Oh my gosh. And the staff sergeant that I was working for, it was just, it was right around this time of year. It was right around Valentine's day. His wife had sent like this care package and it had one of those like hug monkeys with the Velcro on it. <laughs> and so there was a nail on in the wall, like behind my desk for some reason. And so um, me and you know, the folks in J1, we took the monkey and put the hat on it <laughs> and then hung it on the wall and took a picture and sent it out to base wide at Camp Lemonet saying that we had taken the monkey had taken the cover hostage. And the only way that the Admiral could receive it back was to give the J1 Liberty. How did he was, he was hot. He was, he, cause he was like, give me back my cover. And he comes storming into my office and everything and started screaming at the top of his lungs. And, you know, I took it and he was like, what do you have to say? I was like, check your pocket. We got Liberty. No, I mean, you know, I used to do stuff like that. And um, when I was in DC, we had a chief and he muttered all the time. Like, I don't know if you know what I mean, but like he'd sit at his desk and and, and just like, and it got on my nerves so bad because we would have, you know, other sailors in there and high ranking officers and stuff. And I was like, if you are going to blow wind like that, I'm going to make you blow wind. I swear to God, if you can't stop that chief, I'm going to put a whoopee cushion in your chair. And so I did. Cause I've known how to sew. And so I did, I opened the seam of his chair and I put whoopee cushions in it so that when he came down the next time that happened and there were like admirals and captains in there. And so he insisted then the OIC move him up to the admin office. So he got up <laughs> and that was great. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, I did stuff Damn like that. Damn little troublemaker instigator in the Navy. Well, I know. Yeah, kind of, you the know. Personnel men don't have any fun. Well, it's, it's like, the kings and queens of shenanigans because they don't have anything else to do but hang out in an office and come up with stuff i'll tell you what that is not true because I, <laughs> I was never at work i was never not busy because there was always you know something to be done and especially i worked a lot of that's to say as pay i worked reserve pay when i worked at the psd i worked separations Ooh. and i worked oh, and so i was working separations in 2008 and that's when the the last big um, reduction of force came down. So we were doing like 1,500 separations out of D.C. a month. It was so sad. Wow. It was awful. Yeah, I was part of the reduction in force. In yeah, and then, you know, I'm teaching TAPS all these people and watching the news. And they're like, why do we have such an increase in unemployment? I'm, <laughs> okay, genius. If you're going to put people out of the service at high rates, they can apply for unemployment. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. If somebody didn't know that that's watching, yes, you can. So <laughs> Yep. I have I've mentioned that before that I had unemployment. And actually you can file for unemployment from your home state. Mm-hmm. You're you don't have to file for unemployment from the state that you get out in. 
That's that's right. It it goes back to wherever your home state is, your home of record, or wherever yeah. you're going to land. Right. Yep. Yep. And then and then what that is, right, is the federal government has a bill to the state, right? The still the the still the the state then sends a bill to the Defense Human Resource Agency, which is where I used to work, and they are the ones who pay out to the state based on those unemployment. So rates. you were processing unemployment checks too, in a way. No, I'm just familiar with it because of work in IT. I was the program okay. manager for the system for a little while, but not very long, just a few months. Okay. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know like a whole bunch about DOD headquarters stuff. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 So that's only, I could probably answer a lot of questions you guys have. <laughs> I don't have them anymore. I've been out for a long time, but. Yeah, me too. Yeah. How long have you guys been out? I got, I got out in 09. 11. Oh, okay. Okay. We're kind of around the same time frame. Yeah. 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 I was 01 to 2011. I did 10 years. Yeah. So in case, in case my, uh, like, I don't know, I guess I'll segue into, so after I got out of the service, right. I actually, I got, I was in medical retirement. So I got the blue card and I I went back home and it didn't work out. No, never does. No, it was, it was so hard because I was like, I have nothing in common with anybody anymore. Because yeah. Well, know, that leads from, us to our next question. How was yeah. your transition when you did get out? So it was really hard. <laughs> it was, it was, for me, it was actually very hard. So circumstances leading up. So I was actually um, injured while I was in Djibouti. And so I got medevaced and had all of that and went through not good stuff there but was able to make it back fit for full duty and continued serving. So I got hurt in 2007 and continued to serve 2012. So in 2010, I was accepted to the state 21 program. That's like the green, the gold, the enlisted the officer. And so I made it through the OCS training, got to the, that's why Penn state ROTC was my last duty station made it all the way. I was literally like a month away from my commission. And they're like, we're going to send you to med board. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was like, why? (laughs) Oh, the injury that you sustained in 2006 makes you a liability. And what year was this? 2012? 2010 is when it started. I fought him for two two years. You're like, you didn't consider this before you accepted me into the program? I had a waiver. Right. Because the, the waiver, I could pass the PRT with flying colors. But when you sent me on a fun run, I'm going to be like way behind you because I can't run uphill like everybody else anymore because it was a hip injury. So it was just I had a slingshot hip where my hip would just pop out of socket. So when I was at officer school, we did a fun run and it was bothering me. And, you know, the gunny sergeant's like, come on, wait, keep going. And I was like, it really hurts. He's like, nobody cares about your pain. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) so I made the fun run. And then they decided to be jerks and make a sprint back to the barracks. And when I went to take that first step, it was like my foot fell sideways a little bit. Like you think you roll your ankle, but it was actually my hip coming out. And I just face planted right into the ground. (laughs) Yeah. I got up and spiked a water bottle. Everybody was kind of impressed with that. And I was like, ooh, touchdown. And then I was like, crap. So so I had to go on light duty. And then the captain at the ROTC, my last name being Wade, my first name being Leanne, it was very common while I was in the service to be mistaken as a male. So when I walked into, walked into his office and he was like, you're not a male. <laughs> like, no. No, no, I'm not. 
had he known he would never have accepted me into his ROTC. Wow. So for two years, I was the only active duty female at the Penn State ROTC. Wow. Yep. So, yeah. So it was a fight, you know, that's a say. So we had an illegal med board and then we had another med board that I never was seen by a doctor. And yeah, so we had a two year fight and I just kind of got exhausted. Then we had a lieutenant who put in false information about my BCA saying that I wasn't within standard anymore. Even though my medical records show that it wasn't, I just got to a point where I was so tired of fighting. I was found fit for full duty on the bed boards and they were going to allow me to go back to my enlisted career. The captain wasn't good with that. And so he withheld my exam. So I showed up as an exam failure. Wow. Wow. So, So that's how I got out with several congressionals. I mean, fighting to the death, trying to keep that uniform and just getting to a point where I couldn't do it anymore and just said, you know what? I'm losing my damn mind. <laughs> yep. And through all of that, you know, my marriage fell apart. I was, my family was struggling, you know, my, my parents, you know, we had a death in the family that was, you know, really hard on everybody. And I just, I got sick. I literally, uh, so on the same day, my ex-husband was like, I'm moving out. <laughs> and then they were like, we just disenrolled you from your courses at Penn state. And then I got a phone call that my grandfather died. Oh, wow. So I dealt with all that. I came back and uh, the captain at that point had pushed me down to the recruiting station. And I called the warrant officer and said, I don't feel good. And he was like, well, just come in and get your mind off all this stuff, Wade. And I got up and passed out on the floor. Yeah. And so I'd actually stress. Yes. And stress is an amazing thing because what it actually did, and this is kind of my career killer, is it actually made me go into kidney failure and respiratory failure. Oh, wow. So, so that kind of ended me there. And I was like, well, if this is what my body says about this, then I guess I'm going to have to resubmit paperwork for the med board and request the retirement this time. Because if this is, I didn't have this kind of stress and you know, and not night stuff that gives you nightmares. And this is having a completely different. (laughs) Well, it's, it's so hard when you're fighting people that have so much power. Well, and see, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is how, like we call it the good old boy network, but it's actually the political network. And once you become a certain rank, you actually are basically kind of a politician, depending on where you are, especially if you're in the DC area. You know, I mean, think about it. You got the joint chief of staff who I used to go down and do his paperwork while he was working out Admiral Mullen at the Navy yard, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And he's sitting there with congressmen all the time. So it it's a big shift when you get in that headquarters level, the difference between field ops and what's going on at headquarters is just, it. I, it's, if there was something beyond a 180, <laughs> I would say it was that it's pretty crazy. So having it, taken away when you're so close to something, right? It, it was really difficult for me. And then, you know, so it was like a loss of everything. I got kicked out of school. My husband, you know, my ex-husband left, you know, and my family was mourning the loss of my grandfather. Now I'm really sick. And I was literally there like, she needs 24 hour care. She can't be left home by herself. So I got pulled on convalescent leave and my family actually went to Pennsylvania, brought trucks and trailers, loaded me up and took me home. I spent seven months on convalescent leave. Wow. Wow. It was that bad. So, 
you know, trying to figure out how to get better, seeing doctors all over, you know, trying to make sure that they were in networks so that I could continue my care, go through my board. It was miserable. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely miserable. And did I go through taps? Sort of, sort of. I didn't go through taps in like the traditional sense because I was also a wounded warrior because of the time that I spent in Djibouti and on all of that. So I was actually flagged for that. And so there was um, a chief, an E7 that was at the, well, it was the national Naval medical center, Bethesda. Now it's the Walter Reed thing altogether, but I had to do one-on-ones. So I would have to drive from Ohio to DC to go do stuff. And then my separations office was in Connecticut. Huh. Yeah, it made perfect sense. Right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm like, if anybody's having some trouble transitioning, give me a call. I can help. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've seen a lot of it. Yes. And and that's what I say. And so I have have it from that perspective. And then after, you know, being home for seven months and just being like, I can't stand this. I don't have anything in common. I don't really know how. I mean, working personnel, you would think, oh, it's this great HR background. I could not get a job doing my rate. I couldn't get a job as a civilian doing the same thing for the services that I was doing while I was in uniform. I think that's what a lot of people do not understand that. Right. And so I had a lot of anger about that. I thought it was bullshit. I was like, you can, so I can have the job in my uniform and you pay this other contractor, but I can't get a job as a contractor coming right out of this to literally go into a job that I was just doing because personnel specialists, they tried to get rid of us completely in the Navy and make it completely civilianized. But then we're like, oh, well, we can't do that because we can't send the contractors out on a ship and the PSD afloats really suck. (laughs) So yeah. So I ended up working for DHS when I first got out. Yep. So I, I, so when people talk about the transition, I couldn't transition. Yeah. Couldn't, I was so angry. I couldn't let it go and went right back into federal work after, you know, so I got out in April and was, you know, I finished my degree that summer and then I went back to work for DHS Yeah, and I was there at D I was TSA as a program manager and working in acquisitions. So I was like, okay, I don't know how I got that job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It was this great guy named Richard Gates. You know, he saw my resume, did a phone interview, and I got hired on the spot. Wow. Yeah. And I, I was amazed. I was shocked. I was like, I don't know if I know anything about this. But because I did gains, right, bringing service members on, getting their cat cards and all of that, the process is actually the same for contractors, and they needed somebody that was familiar with it. So, that's how I got my first job. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes it's right place, right time, right person that you're talking to that can open that door for you. Yeah. So I, I worked there for three years and then I worked for, gosh, I worked for the Marine Corps for a few months and then I bounced to the Defense Health Agency. Then I worked for the Army <laughs> and then I went to the DOD headquarters. So, yeah. I learned my way around, especially federal acquisitions and program management. (laughs) That's not always a bad thing, though. It's actually really helpful. The program management, the skills that you learn in program management are really helpful because if you look at somebody and and say, what can you take these program management skills that I have and turn them into? A small business is the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So 
how after all that are you doing now the best i can with what i've got <laughs> that's a great answer so, so um i i didn't do well for a long time i saw my bad days you know my mental health after all of that like getting out went in the crapper and so i fought for a long time just to get help so you know because you transition out and all that kind of stuff and it's kind of like okay you have the tricare network Trike your prime when you're a service member, but when you get retired, it turned into something else and trying to get that care kept. And then, you know, okay, I got to go through the immediate thing where I got my VA rating, but now I have to find primary care within them and try to get the referrals. So it actually took me, I've been here, I'm trying to think, I came back in 2012. It took me four years to be able to get into mental health where I actually needed to be to start getting, cause I, I wanted the cognitive processing therapy and the, like the behavioral, I'm like, I'm not thinking straight. Right. I'm just stuff's hitting me the wrong way. And it's like, you don't have to try. And it's like, you're rubbing sandpaper across my face and I'm getting an attitude and I'm going to get myself in trouble, <laughs> you know, and that kind of stuff. And just those days where you're just like, I don't even want to get out of bed. Like, why am I doing this? Like, what is my purpose? What is the point that I ran into a lot of that. So, and it's not fun. It's not fun. But I finally got the care I needed. Um, I found additional care that I paid for out of pocket to fix my back and legs a bit. I used to not be able to walk upstairs. And so then I turned back to the thing that I did as a kid to cope, which was crafts. Right. So I never stopped. Everybody used to make fun of me in the service and ask me if I was runaway Amish because I would have quilts with me all the time. I would embroider. I embroidered. Like when you, I don't know if you guys ever had to do like night duty and stuff like that, where you're literally just sitting. <laughs> you're like just staying awake to see if anything doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> when I had to like guard the the guns, you know, just sitting there like they're not moving, they're locked up. Everybody's sleeping. We're in. Okay. <laughs> I would, I would get a book light and embroider and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I learned to do it as a kid. And so it really, I didn't know until later that like certain things that you do artistically use both sides of your brain. And so you can't effectively go in, you know, scattered direction. So in 2010, I learned how to knit. And so, you know, I was, let me tell you, I knit up a storm for like three years. I have bins of stuff <laughs> that I just, I just was going crazy trying to cope with everything because I didn't have the right care. And it's just, you're trying to put it somewhere and be positive instead of negative. And then I just, a friend of mine took me to a dyeing class. Like, and you know, you kind of get to, I like the color. <laughs> yeah. And hey, I do too. Cheers to coloring. Yes. I love the color. Yes. And so I, took this little class and we made, we made what's called a sock length, which is basically a knitted piece of fabric that you, you know, you stencil or dye. And it was really simple. And then I just kind of, I turn into a monster when it comes to crafts. As soon as I like something, I want to know everything about it, where it came from, how to do everything. And I started dyeing yarn and it really changed everything for me in this positive way, because this stuff that I wasn't able to process in therapy started coming out. And it was going somewhere productive, but it's also pretty, <laughs> right? And so it's been like this secret that I had because I didn't start, I just started dyeing yarn in uh, early 2017. 
And I incorporated shortly thereafter. I was actually like, oh, let me go ahead because I'm a quilter and all that and start putting those products out, just doing my side hustle kind of thing. And then I started dyeing the yarn and I did. I just went nuts. So, yeah. So I, I have like funny colorways that, you know, they tell a story, but that's to say it was my secret. So I would take it out to the festivals and different things and people would see it and they'd be like, oh, that's so pretty. And I'm like, and if only you knew what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and I've got I got busted a couple times. Like a couple people go, wait a minute. And one of the ones that is my favorite is Fester. <laughs> Everybody like Adam's family. No, like a wound, like gangrene. <laughs> yes. I actually dyed a yarn to different colors that you'll find in gangrene in a nasty old wound like that. And it was a nurse who saw that and she came up to me and she was like, is there a story behind this? <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe a little one. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I found that. And so, you know, it's hard though, with wanting to keep that positivity and worrying about negative feedback and, and current things like people are a little touchy right now. Yeah, They've been a little touchy for like a few years. <laughs> yeah. And so trying not to be offensive is getting on my nerves. <laughs> really hard especially as a veteran to Mm. not offend someone yeah well and it's 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 just like oh gosh you just never know like that's the thing that gets me you never know you can say the sky is blue and somebody is offended and you're just like right yeah and then they want to argue with you that I just whatever I I just I can't do it I don't, I don't have any, like, I actually really don't have any tolerance for it. Like arguing and bickering. I don't, I'll just walk away. I can't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so it makes me struggle. Like I'm amazed. I'm like, I get mad at social media and I have to shut it off. And then I struggle with marketing because I'm like, I need to be on social media. And I'm like, I don't want to. So it makes it, yeah, it makes it interesting. It makes it interesting. But um, I definitely, you know, like the business is something that I always wanted to have. I've wanted my own little craft store since I was like 14. And, um, you know, I actually tailored, tailored my education to it. That's why I, part of why I became a personnel specialist in the Navy. Cause I was like, I can use that. I took accounting classes. I have three, I, I'm an overachiever. I got like four degrees. It's stupid, <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to know how to run a business. Right. So, yeah. So that's started turn. But as far as just getting better as a human, the that's to say the artistic and and stuff and being able to put it out there has just it's like a load off and so when it comes to like a veteran who's struggling I'm like do you like to do anything in regard to art at all whether it were you in music when you were in high school do you color do you paint do you anything it doesn't matter and I've seen some cool stuff so you know like somebody makes art with bottle caps and just (laughs) metal sculptors as a state there's so many outlets and that's to say actually learning about the craft finding out that if you knit or crochet it uses both sides of your brain and so it shuts that off that i don't know the spiral it just shuts it off you can't do it because you have to use logic skills and math and creativity all at the same time so you're just firing off and it just it kind of settles the serotonin or something i don't know Maybe that's why I can't do it. I can't use both sides of my brain. It, it's it's not like you're sitting here going left, you work, right, you work. It just happens. Yeah. It just happens. You I've probably tried find it, you probably find it in other things that you do. Yeah. 
anytime it's it's not almost like anytime you're working with your hands and you have to have your hands and your brain going at the same time, kind of like rubbing your belly and patting your head. (laughs) See how that worked for me? Not well, Yeah. (laughs) but it's, but it's that kind of thing. And it just, yeah, it gives, it gives you a different kind of outlet. And then because you're creating something, there's gratification purpose. And that search for purpose, that search for meaning that we have after we get out where you're, oh, I'm doing this and it has this huge meaning, it gets lost. It really does get lost because you feel like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I used to be sort of part of something bigger myself. And there's a lot of lessons that we forget to take with us. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. So if you had advice for someone that was either just getting ready to get out or has been out and is struggling as a veteran, what kind of advice would you give them? So for someone who's transitioning out, don't try to transition alone. Don't try to do it by yourself. You're not, you're not going to be successful, right? Do not worry about driving the personnel crazy. That is their <laughs> job. And that's what you need to do, right? Because nobody cares about you and your career as much as you do, including your retirement or separation or for whatever reason you're getting out. The other is, is immediately search out the veteran community, because then if you run into a problem, there's going to be somebody who knows somebody. The six degrees of separation in the veteran community is amazing, right? So that is so important. You know, I used to work with the admirals and process their retirements, right? So I actually know Vice Admiral retired John Cotton. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, you play six degrees of separation, you'll find somebody who knows somebody who, you know, it's not like everybody's going to throw their neck on a chopping block, but everybody is willing to give up information to help another person. I have not seen anybody like, no, (laughs) you're not going to get shunned because we all understand it. We've all been through it, good or bad. And, you know, there's a lot of veterans who are trying to make this process better that are actually still in the federal government fighting for the TAP program to try to make it better. And veterans who've started nonprofits that are trying to fill in those gaps. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to be associated with some of those through the veterans veterans. So that's why I'm like, absolutely. Let's play. The veteran community is a network. I don't, I think a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, Oh, you guys are a bunch of brothers. No, (laughs) not at all. We are a major network. And if you are a veteran who's out and struggling, you have to look inside yourself and figure out what it was that made you join. There's a strength in us that's different from everybody else. That's why they call us an elite fighting force, all of this kind of stuff. But there's something inside that drove us to serve in the first place. And that strength that sent you to boot camp is that same strength that doesn't ever go away that'll pull us through the hard times. I like that. Yeah, I think that's the first time. I'm speechless. (laughs) So can you tell I work tap now? Right. I feel, like, I feel like this is a speech you've given before. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of, but you know, it, it's what, it's what I actually say. I leave my phone open, you know, anybody who gets a hold of me in social media, if they have a problem, I, I will not, not answer my phone. So, you know, I, I'm one of those, I, I don't know. People say like, you're a veteran advocate. I'm like, is that a thing? I just, no, you're like, I'm a veteran I like to help and, and try to give back, you know? Right. I do this because I enjoy it. (laughs) The rest is so much easier when you can enjoy doing something or doing something you actually enjoy. Come on. Who who would not have fun making bunnies? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I knew how, I'd probably be making bunnies too. 
I laugh because I'm short. I'm only five, three. And now I feel like Hermie in a way, like I want to be a dentist. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm a little small now. So yeah. That's fantastic. Yes. Yes. So but- our listeners wanted to get a hold of you either to continue this conversation or just for any reason, what mm-hmm. is the best way to reach you? So my handle on all social media is the same. It's you knit. So it's E W E K N I T S E W. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, um, and TikTok and Pinterest, um, Ravelry I'm all over the place. I'm not hard to find. Um, and my website is the same. So even if you feel like you can't get me there, if you go to my website, www.unitandso.com, there is a chat feature and it comes directly to my phone. So anybody who is a customer for me or anybody who needs me, I try to make myself easily accessible. And my phone number is on Google. So you can actually look up my name. It'll bring up my business and it comes right here. And this, see, I'm sitting right here and it's right here. (laughs) So, you know, I can't, I'm not a person that's going to promise to solve everybody's problem. That's not, I'm one person, right? And if I get 500 phone calls, I'm going to get as many as I can. And if I have to shove you off on another veteran, I will. <laughs> but I'll do what I can to help. That's why we're a network. Yeah, it doesn't mean we have the right answer. We just need the right it place. It might not be an issue that I know how to handle or that you know how to handle, but it's <laughs> an issue that someone that we know is equipped to handle. Yeah. Well, see, that's one of the most important things that the, that the Navy taught me. You don't have to know everything. You just need to figure out where to look. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's okay to say, I do not know, but I will get back to you. That's right. <laughs> okay. It's, it's just like, it's nice. It's if you can, like, it's okay not to know things. It takes a lot of pressure off. Yes, it does. You don't have to have all the answers all the time. I have to remind myself that every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I get that because I like to be a perfectionist that has all the answers and you can't. So yes, yes. My resume straight says effective problem solver. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is. That's on my resume too. But when you wake up and one plus one is equal in seven, eh. yeah, happens. Story of my life because me and math we don't get along. Oh, I do. My English is terrible. My math is great. Like public speaking, English, like I'm good. Like that's I'm amazed I haven't put two words together to just make it hysterical yet. That's usually what I do. I'll start talking too fast and then I'll try to put two words together and it just <laughs> Yeah. Well, you've been a great storyteller today and we oh, thank you a guest on our podcast. Scale Executive Search is a veteran-owned and operated search firm serving aerospace tech and startups. They've managed to set themselves apart by not only understanding the job market, but also ensuring their candidates and clients are invested in not only their careers, but also themselves and their families. You want to talk a little bit about the charity we've chosen to support this week and how we're supporting them? Sure. So on top of our continuous support for the Silva Hala Project, Amanda and I have also chosen to support the Fallen Outdoors which is an organization that takes veterans hunting and fishing. They can be found at thefallenoutdoors.com and all you need to have is a DD-214. They are located nationwide and really just care that you got out of the military. You don't have to be a combat vet or any special. You just have to be a veteran. Yeah, just a veteran. I just want you to be a veteran. 
And in order to support Silva Hollow Project and the Fallen Outdoors, Amanda and I have a merch store where you can get veterans drinking vodka, hoodies, t-shirts, tank tops, long sleeve shirts, coffee mugs, and face masks. We also have stickers and koozies. And in order to get hooked up with those, you need to reach out to Amanda and I directly. And where can they find us? Well, if you would like to get hooked up with a sticker or a koozie, or you would like to contact Amber or myself for any reason, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka, or you can email us directly at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. Please reach out if you'd like to tell your story and be a guest on our podcast. You can send us an email or a direct message on any of the social media platforms. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. It helps with the podcast algorithms so that more veterans can hear the stories that we're telling and the message we're trying to get across. If you would like access to exclusive uncut video footage of our recordings, we can be found on YouTube at Veterans Drinking Vodka, and all the videos we put up there are the uncut versions of our podcast recordings. You can also join us every Sunday for Veterans After Hours via Zoom at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are hanging out, telling stories, sharing resources, and meeting new friends. We do have to put the disclaimer out there that it is a veteran social networking event. So we do invite everyone, civilian, active duty, and veteran personnel, but we never know what the topic of conversation is going to be or what's going to happen. So enter at your own risk. But the reason Amanda and I started this podcast was not only to connect with other veterans and share their stories, but to also bring about mental health awareness in veterans and the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day and 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers. Cheers.